Alright, well if you would, uh, open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. I think our request of James sings that again, he's got to actually dance. You can borrow this microphone if you want. Philippians chapter 1, uh, if you turn there, um, as you turn there, please uh, stand as we read verses 12 through 18 together. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word. Father, that it would uh, be be proclaimed boldly, that it would begin to work in our hearts. Father, that you would allow its uh, effect to come to fruition in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. 1 Corinthians 1, 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is God's inspired word for us this morning. Will you please be seated? We begin this morning with a question. Is there anyone in this room whose life has worked out exactly as you thought that it would work out? I felt a calling uh, when I was in high school. I I felt that God wanted me to, to reach out to my friends and specifically to high school students. Um, And so I knew from the very beginning that that was sort of what God wanted for my life. And I also knew that I wanted to go to school as far away from my home as I possibly could uh, when it came to college. Um, And of course, I wound up going to a college about 45 minutes down the road uh, from where I grew up. And, And a month later, I met Megan. And I didn't realize that she was going to have everything planned out for me for the... For the two of us, for the rest of our lives. You know, a, a year later, our sophomore year, we were engaged. I don't really recommend that to college students today, okay? I can't even imagine, th- you know, what were we thinking uh, when we were 19 and 18 years old? We had no idea what we were getting into. And, and at the end of college, as, as graduation approached, as well as our wedding day approached, um, and I was looking for youth ministry opportunities when uh, Chris, our old youth director, called me up, um, kind of out of the blue, unsolicited, and, and said, hey, you know, we're looking for a youth director down in Huntsville, Alabama. Well, I had heard of Alabama before, <laughs> but only in the civil rights section of American history class. Um, so that wasn't really a mark for Alabama. Um, and I had never heard of Huntsville at all. I'll, I'll just be honest, I had no idea where it was. We had to look at a map and go, well, that's not that far from Tennessee. 
And, and, you know, I knew all the southern stereotypes and had heard the Alabama stereotypes. And, and yet God began to work in a way that made it pretty obvious that, that Huntsville was going to be the place that we were supposed to be. And as I was growing up, and when I was in middle school and high school at the church that, that, that I was in, um, we saw a, a rapid turnover in youth leaders. In the six years that I was um, in youth ministry at my church, we saw four different youth leaders in six years. And so all I knew when, when we moved down to Huntsville is that I didn't want to be that person. You know, I, I wanted to stay for a long time, and, and what I meant by a long time was like four years. Or maybe five years, right? You know, but here we are ten years later, three kids later, sadly only one dog still later. Um, you know, and, and all I knew at the beginning was that I wanted to tell kids about Jesus. But the rest just kind of happened. You know, and so here we go to Paul, and, and, and please don't confuse me, I'm not equating my life with Paul at all. You know, I, I live a, a very comfortable life. Um, I've not been run out of town yet. Um, I've never felt threatened uh, for preaching the gospel. But I can't say, honestly, that I've really planned it all out as well. And here, here we have Paul, and we see that the things that happened to Paul are not the things that Paul had planned for himself either. The things that happened to Paul were not the things that, that he had planned. You know, Paul knew that he was to preach the gospel. But what actually happened to Paul? Well, this is uh, J.A. Motyer talks about the events that, that were in Paul's life that led up to uh, where, we are, where we are here in Philippians 1. So what happened began in Acts 21.17, when the apostles set foot in Jerusalem, forewarned by the Holy Spirit that bonds and imprisonment awaited him. An entirely false accusation was leveled at him by his own people. He was nearly lynched by a religious mob and ended up in a Roman prison, having escaped a flogging only by pleading citizenship. His whole case was beset by a mockery of justice, for though all right was on his side, he could not secure a hearing. He was made the subject of unjust and unprovoked insult and shame and malicious misrepresentation. He was kept in prison due to official craving for popularity or for money or because of an over-punctilicious facade of legalism. Even then, his sufferings were not over. There came the prolonged trial of the storm at sea where his life hung, as it seemed, by a thread, both because of the elements and because of petty officiousness. Eventually, when he reached Rome, it was far from the ambassadorial entry that he had doubtless looked for. He came in the company of the condemned, bound by a chain and destined to drag out at least two years under arrest, awaiting the uncertain decision of an earthly king. Nevertheless, still imprisoned, still chained, still unheard, still uncertain, he looks back and offers, what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, what had Paul planned? Well, Paul planned the advancement of the gospel, and that's really all that he knew. And as long as the gospel was being advanced, that's all that Paul really needed. Now, all suffering does not serve the purpose of advancing the gospel. And there's different types and there's different reasons, different different ways and purposes of suffering. One of those purposes is is corrective. 
Okay, that the Lord disciplines those he loves. That's from Proverbs 3. But think of it, you know, if we break the law and get pulled over, that's not suffering for the sake of the gospel. You know, I don't have much right to complain about suffering that I've caused by my own stupidity, at least not too much. Now, it doesn't stop me from complaining, but it, but it just sounds foolish. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was in college, there was a group of people that would always kind of wander around complaining about how busy they were. Anybody know those type of people? And they never had enough time to do anything um, except for, it seemed like, to walk around and complain about how they didn't have enough time. And oftentimes I was one of those people. And I'd, I'd go around and complain about how hard things were and how I didn't have time for, the, for this or for that. And then when it came time for an exam or a test and, and I made a bad grade, well, whose fault was that? Well, I always blame the professor. But, but really, that was, that was my fault. In 1 Peter 2, Peter writes, that it, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? See, what credit is it if you make the mistake and you suffer? That's not really credit for you. You know, As I've grown older and now that I have kids, I kind of understand this um, corrective suffering a little bit more. I've gained some perspective. You know, the, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he allows us to experience the pain and suffering that comes as a result of our own sin. Not because he hates us, but because he loves us. He allows me to experience, at least in part, some of the effects of my sin. And, and I've seen not just in my own life, but as, as this youth director for many years now, and getting to watch the mistakes that other people get to make on their kids, that the greatest disservice that we can do as parents is when we don't discipline at all. And oftentimes we do it because we want to spare our children from harm. But when we don't discipline, we do more harm than we would have avoided the other way. And we don't discipline because we enjoy inflicting pain on our children, at least um, I don't, uh, but to correct dangerous and harmful behavior. And so God is the same way. And there's another type of, of suffering which is instructive. And, and this type of suffering can awaken us to the needs and feelings of other people. See, there's only, there are certain things that we can only know if we have personally endured them. You know, we can't truly know what it's like to be hungry or what it's like to live in poverty if we have never been in hunger or impoverished. We don't really know what it's like to lose a loved one until it happens to us. And we can't empathize with people in different, in different situations and circumstances without oftentimes going through those things beforehand. And often those who have suffered the most are also some of the most empathetic people because they can understand the different trials that we go through. See, but Paul's suffering is neither of these. Paul suffered for the advancement of the kingdom and also for the encouragement of the believers. And his suffering had been permitted by God so that the gospel would spread and so that other believers might be encouraged. Now, Scripture gives us plenty of examples of other people who have suffered for similar reasons. Um, we'll just give two examples, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. 
So take from the Old Testament Joseph. Joseph is a man who is hated by his jealous brothers because his father, he was the favorite of his father who had given him his coat of many colors. Joseph also had these dreams which he was bold enough to share with his brothers about how they would all at one point bow down to him. He's then taken by them, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, thrown into prison. He's left there for years. He's forgotten by his friends before finally being elevated to the second highest position in Egypt. And God used him to save his family and also to save his people through famine. At the end of Genesis in chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph is talking to his brothers after he's reunited with his father and his brothers, and he said, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So what you meant for evil, God planned for good. Suffering for the purposes of God. Here's our example from the New Testament. It doesn't get much better than this, but Christ on the cross. So scripture tells us that by Jesus' wounds, we are healed. But in the garden, we find Jesus on his knees, pouring out his heart to the Lord, begging God, if there is any other way, please let this cup pass from me. So the suffering that Christ endured was very real. It's important to remember, though, that not all suffering makes sense. And it's okay not to understand the reasoning or the why behind our suffering. And in fact, sometimes we, ne- we may never see the reason. It takes Joseph decades to understand the purpose for his suffering. He wasn't being told by God through this whole time, you know, just wait a little bit longer, wait a little bit longer. He wasn't told anything. He just endured and yet remained faithful. Joseph goes through decades of anguish and despair without understanding the why. And so we don't really need to speculate, especially on others' behalf, for the reason for their suffering. You know, in often well-intentioned words of comfort, you know, things like, oh, God's, God's in control or, or it's all for the best, sometimes those are best left unspoken. And as incredible as it sounds, going back here to Paul, the more opposition the gospel faces, the more it grows. So we find that in the times and places throughout history where the gospel has been the most persecuted, that these are the times and places where we consistently see kingdom advancement. See, suffering and trial can have a cultivating effect on the gospel. When I was younger, my family would take these trips out west, and we did this several times. We went and visited some national parks, Yellowstone and Yosemite, and I don't remember exactly where it was, but one time we were in one of the national parks, and we came across a forest fire. And we were very alarmed by the fire until we looked over and saw a park ranger. We went up and just wanted to make sure, hey, you guys know that there's a fire over there in the forest, in which case they begin to tell us about these controlled burns that they have. If you know anything about these forests, uh, oftentimes they will intentionally set them on fire. And the reason behind that is to cut back on some of the unwanted undergrowth and and underbrush to, to burn up these things that are dead to prevent future fires. 
But also what we found out was that there are certain trees that only release their spores in fire. Now, the effect that fire has on it is, is that uh, these cones remain dormant for years. And yet when the fire comes, it melts this resin, causing the cones to pop open and the seeds to be released. So the trees need fire to create more trees. So fire can destroy, but it can also cultivate. And Paul has every reason to complain about his unjust treatment. He is watched here, he says, by the imperial guard. And what the imperial guard is, is these are 9,000 hand-picked soldiers. These are the official bodyguards of the emperor. They received double the pay, a nice pension, and they had special duties. Okay, we can think of them as sort of our secret service. But they were also in charge of imperial prisoners, those who were awaiting trial or awaiting verdict from the emperor. And so Paul here is actually chained to one of these imperial soldiers at all times, night and day. But rather than complain, Paul realizes that the mission field has been brought right to him. In fact, the mission field has been chained to him. See, it was the guard who couldn't get away from Paul and not vice versa. And Paul was faithful to witness to anyone and anywhere that the Lord had placed in his path. And he was not alone. You see, in spite of raging persecution, uh, we can look at the, the, um, the martyrdom at the beginning of Christianity, where many of, of the first members were martyred and they suffered great material loss, and yet within 300 years of the death of Christ, it's estimated that 10% of the world's population was Christian. Within 300 years, in spite of raging persecution. See, Christians have been faithful wherever and in whatever condition they've been in. Now, at our house, we don't have cable. Um, but it somehow doesn't prevent us from watching a lot of television. We watch TV all the time. We've got some streaming services, and, and one of them uh, has the same commercial like over and over again, no matter what, what you're watching. Uh, there's one particular commercial that's been coming on lately, and it, it's, it's for a dating app. Okay, maybe you've seen this. In, in, in the dating app, there's a guy walking up and talking to someone on the street, asking them to open up their app and, and select this feature called Missed Connections. And they can look, and based on where they've been, it it follows your location, and it shows you other people who are also looking for dates who you've crossed paths with at some point that day. Now, oh, you know, this person was at the same coffee shop you were at, and this person goes to the same gym that you do. Now, for me, this is really strange, right? Um, This is like taking stalking to a whole new creepy level. Um, (laughs) But imagine, what if God did the same with us? You know, sometimes we think, well, everyone I know is already a believer. I don't really have any opportunities to witness or to minister. But what if we saw in real time all these misconnections, these opportunities that we had that we just never quite took advantage of? And none of us have guards chained to us, I, I don't believe. Although some can make a joke about marriage there. Uh, but for coworkers classmates, family members, our children, our caregivers, the guy that cuts your hair, the girl at the bank, the person at the DMV, anyone that we come in contact with is an opportunity to share the gospel. Now, that's how Paul would have seen it. 
Every life situation presents an opportunity to witness. If you would turn over with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Where does the source of this great confidence that Paul has come from? Why is Paul able to so boldly proclaim the gospel? Why is it that he sees this great success? Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprouts, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. See, Paul's confidence is not in his ability to witness, but it is in the confidence and the power of God's word. See, Scripture tells us here that God's word doesn't return empty, that it will accomplish God's purposes, that it is, in fact, an unstoppable force. And the world is littered with unlikely converts. You know, Paul himself was one of these. Remember who Paul was. He was a man who at one point had made it his personal mission to stamp out this cult of Christianity before it even got started. And God spoke to a man named Ananias and told him that Paul was coming to visit him at his home. And and Ananias said, to paraphrase, are you out of your mind? Do you know what this guy is capable of doing? Do you know what he's done to Christians? But the world is littered with unlikely converts, just like Paul. There are some of us who, knowing our former life, no one would ever suspect us to be in a church building right now. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul starts to describe some of the sins that would disqualify people from eternal life. And then he says in verse 11... And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So the work of God is most noticeably, most noticeable in the lives of the unlikely people, right? The work of God is most noticeable in the most unlikely people, It's tempting to look at somebody and and think, well, they're too far gone. It's not even worth it. But that's doing a disservice to that person who's been created in the image of God as well as to the power of God's word. See, don't don't, don't think of yourself as morally superior to somebody just because you met Jesus first. And that's what Paul has been saying here the whole time. He said, you wouldn't believe these guys that are coming to faith. Even the imperial guard. Now, these are some bad dudes. They've got this reputation, but even they are coming to faith because of Paul's faithfulness to witness. And not only is God's word unstoppable in who it can change, but it is even immune to the motivations of those who are preaching. I find this fascinating. Did you catch that Paul is talking about some of the people that are preaching in Philippi? And some of them, he says, are preaching out of envy and rivalry out of selfish ambition. Some of the people were literally preaching just so they can make Paul's life more difficult. 
See, they didn't even believe the gospel, but they knew that as he was on trial and and as word came back to the emperor that this Christianity is spreading, well, they figured that's a bad thing for Paul. So some people were preaching solely to get Paul into trouble. But it's not about the speaker of the word. And it's not even about the motivation of the person that is doing the speaking. It is about the word, period. Now, that makes me feel a lot better about being up here in front of you guys. You know, not, not that I'm only in it for self-promotion, or at least I don't think so, but, but it's not about me. The messenger isn't really that important. See, anyone can bring this message, and it doesn't even matter why. God's word will fulfill his purposes. Now, there's only one thing that can stop the advance of the gospel. It's simply this. The word cannot accomplish anything if it never leaves our mouths. You've heard the quote from Edmund Burke. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. The only thing that can stop the advance of the gospel is for Christians to remain silent. How will they know unless they have heard? See, don't let fear keep you from opening your mouth. We have this great promise in 1 John chapter 5. It says that for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So take courage in the fact that God knows what he's doing, and he can give us victory. Now, it's not necessarily the victory that we planned. And oftentimes, it's not even necessarily the victory that we would have wanted. And sometimes, like Paul, this is the victory of suffering. Sometimes there is victory in defeat. God offers us, at times, the victory of Joseph in Christ. But he also gives us this great promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. So we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, who are called according to his purpose. Now this good is not often the way that we would define good. But God is working things together in our lives for his good purposes. And if we are suffering for the sake of the gospel, chances are that it will advance. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the promise of faithfulness that can be found in your word. Lord, we're grateful that that this faithfulness is not dependent on our faithfulness. But Lord, you are faithful because that is who you are. It is your nature. It is your character. And Lord, we pray, especially this morning, for those who do suffer Because of your word. Father, we think of Pastor Andrew Brunson in Turkey, Lord, who's been in prison for months without receiving a trial, without even formal charges against him. And Lord, we know that you can take and use even that to further your kingdom. Lord, give us boldness. Remove any excuses or doubts in our mind about whether or not we are worthy to be the one to witness Remind us of the power that we have in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.